1 Samuel chapter 17, hear the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, 
Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with his coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath to the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shaaraim as far as Gath and Ekrim. Then the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered the camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the most common themes in literature, in movies, in television, 
is this theme of David and Goliath, the little guy who conquers over the big guy. Star Wars is basically that story. Indiana Jones is basically that story. Almost absolutely every sports movie is that story. It always has the same thing of the, the underdogs that they, they win and they beat over the, the bigger team. And oftentimes lawyer movies are that, the little guy against the machine and so on. Even some romances, uh, the competition for the beautiful woman Instead of the, the dashing, rich, strong man, it's won eventually by the poor man. And this is a, this is a story that has been extracted from, from this text. And it's a common theme, but by becoming such a common theme and by being removed from its original context, it gets distorted. It's lost its original meaning, and it becomes simply an inspiring story about how the noble little guy can win over the big bad bully and overcome great obstacles. And the focus is on the little guy. And we'll see that originally in its context, it wasn't so much a story about the little guy, it was a story about the Lord and about the little guy who trusted in the Lord. So what we have, we have the, the, the defying of the Lord in the first 30 verses. We have this, this story. We've gone back to the Philistines. You remember them, right? They, these were the original enemies at the beginning of 1 Samuel. And then we had something of a digression that took up the Amalekites, which were an ancient, a more ancient enemy of the Philistines. And now we go back to the Philistines. They're still fighting. And the two armies drew up for battle. And it says they were on opposite mountains in Judean territory, and the battleground would have been in the middle between them. And so the first one to move in and to try to, to, try to fight the other would have to fight uphill. And so they were kind of at a stalemate, and no one wanted to be the, one, the first one to move in and have to fight uphill. And so they, were, they had this stalemate, each of them on their mountains. But Philistine champion, they had a champion named Goliath, and he was enormous. Now, there is a question of how tall this man was because there are different manuscripts of the Old Testament and different translations of the Old Testament that have his height. Uh, the maximum is nine feet, three inches. But other manuscripts have him at a, a much shorter stature of six feet, nine inches. And so you say, well, only six feet, nine inches. Have you ever met somebody who's six feet, nine? The tallest man I ever met was six feet, 11. I felt like a midget. I, I reached up, and his hand was two or three times the size of mine, and I felt like a little child next to this man who was 6 feet 11 inches. He went on to play in the NBA. Um, but 6'9 is, is very tall. And so even if those manuscripts are correct, we still have a very tall man, particularly when we take into a, uh, account that people in general were not as tall as they are now. So David, we don't know how tall he was, but he might have been 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, something like that. That's not how he is in the statues we see and the, the paintings and so on. But he was probably the height of many of the women in this congregation. So 6'9", would have been enormous for him. So however, however tall he was, he was enormous and he was very, very heavily armed. But we should know something. We should know something already, that God is not impressed with the height of humans. We know that from two verses. If you go back to, to chapter 10, verse 23, we find the first tall man 
uh, and he is Saul. 10.23, it says that Saul Saul stood head and shoulders. It says they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. So he was a head taller. And then uh, last week we saw in chapter 16, verse 7, an explicit comment by the Lord because when Samuel went to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, he saw Eliab, and Eliab was tall. And in verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so these, these two experiences so far with tall men should, should prepare us that the Lord is not intimidated nor impressed in the least with the stature of humans. So what did he do? He came out every day, it says twice a day, and he challenged the Israelites to representative combat, one-on-one combat. And the idea was the winner takes all. Whoever wins between the, the representatives, the whole army, the whole people that that person represents is the victor, and the, the, those who are vanquished become the servants of the other. So this is representative comment with the winning side sharing in the victory of its champion, the losing side sharing in the defeat of its champion. And then we have the, the basic issue in verse 10. It says, and the Philistines said, I defy, I defy. That verb shows up in verse 25, it shows up in verse 26, it shows up in verse 36, it shows up in verse 45. And the noun version of that same shows up in verse 26. Defiance, defiance. He says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Uh, And Saul and all Israel were afraid. In verse 11, all of them were afraid. Now the story then slows down Uh, In verses 12 to 30, it slows down, and we have this this discussion of David taking supplies to his brothers. We learn that the three oldest ones, whom we met last week, they are in Saul's army. And then we have David, who's strangely, kind of surprisingly, he's back with his father. Last week, we found at the end of the chapter, he was serving Saul as his court musician and as his armor bearer. But now we have him back with the sheep. And it says uh, that he went back and forth. So it doesn't look like he was permanently yet in Saul's, um, Saul's, uh, Saul's service. So David uh, is sent by his father. He takes the supplies. And just after David arrives and greets the brothers, guess who shows up? Goliath shows up and he issues the challenge. David overheard the, well, he overheard the challenge. He overheard the soldiers talking about what what Saul would do for anyone who would kill this this giant Goliath. And then we have the first words of David, the first words of David in this, this book, in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. There's that verb again. Now, it says in verse 10, on the lips of Goliath, I defy the ranks of Israel. 
But what we have on the lips of David, his first comment is a theological reinterpretation of this defiance of Goliath. He says, no, he hasn't simply defied the ranks of Israel. He has defied the armies of the living God. And so remember that Saul was rejected and God was looking for a man, what? After his own heart. And on the very first words of David in 1 Samuel, we find the orientation of his heart. And, and all of the others were afraid. They were focusing on the size of Goliath and his military prowess. But we have David bringing God into the picture. So we find the orientation of David's heart was indeed after God. It was towards God. And we have that from the very first words that he speaks in this book. And he theologically reinterprets. Everybody was seeing the same circumstances, but David's perspective on the circumstances was different. That's, that's how it works for us, isn't it? We see circumstances, we get overwhelmed with circumstances, and, and we can begin to spin out of control in our minds. And the, the, the only way to, to reorient ourselves is to take those circumstances and put them under the sovereign control of God. Reframe the circumstances under God's control. And that's, that's what he did here. He, he reframed the situation. The situation had not changed. And sometimes the situations didn't change. This one did change, but sometimes the situations didn't. But, but the difference came when he oriented the situation under God's control. Now, there's another interpretation of David's actions, and it's the eldest brother. His eldest brother, Eliab, hears him speaking with the men, and he takes him to task. His anger was kindled. He says, why have you come down? With whom have you left the sheep? I know your presumption and the evil of your what? The evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And then David responds kind of like the, the picked-on little brother. What have I done now? I just spoke a word, and you're picking on me again? So it looks like there was some prehistory there of these brothers and how they might have interacted with each other. But notice that Eliab committed a mistake that, that we're often tempted to commit, and that is to intuit what's going on in other people's hearts. You see, he saw David's actions, he heard what was David was doing, and he, he imputed to David certain motives. And this is, this is a very dangerous thing, and we see here that he's, he's wrong, because we, we already know that David's a man after God's own heart. And now we see how, how David is oriented towards God, and his brother misinterprets completely. And this is, this is the danger that we all run when we see an action, we hear a word, and then we, we impute to that person, you said this because, you did this because, and we're interpreting things that we cannot see that are in the heart. And that's what the oldest brother did here. Now, the heart of the story um, is the rumor begins to circulate that there's somebody in the camp that's asking about what will be done for the man who, who kills this giant. And the rumor reaches Saul in verse 31. And Saul calls for David. And then David jauntily announces to Saul, don't have any fear. I'll go fight the giant. Verse 32. Let no man's heart fail. 
Because of him, your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul had some reservations about sending this young man out to fight with the giant, and his reservations were quite reasonable. They were based on the relative experience of these two. You're a youth, and he's been a fighting man since his youth. So this is not a fair fight. You cannot go. But David then had some arguments, and he appealed to three things. In verse 34 and 35, he says, well, actually, I've had a a decent amount of experience with with hand-to-hand combat. I was a shepherd, and I've taken on bears, and I've taken on lions with my own hands, and I have killed them. So I actually have fighting experience. And then, in verse 36, he disdains Goliath, and he compares him to the beasts in verse 36. So he says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. So he puts them in the category of the beasts. And then he, he, he announces again his, his theological interpretation of the situation. For he has defi- defied the armies of the living God. That's the real problem here. He has to fight the armies of the living God. And therefore, David concluded, by analogy, the Lord who delivered, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Why? Because he made a big mistake. He defied the armies of the living God. This is not my fight. I am simply an instrument, and I'm willing to go because he has made a mistake. He has defied the armies of the living God, and God will answer that defiance. And then Saul says, go, and the Lord be with you. Well, then we have this little interlude here about David trying on Saul's armor, He's never used armor before, doesn't fit, he's not used to it, he tries to walk around, he can't do it, he says, I can't use this. So he takes what he's used to. He takes his staff, he takes five smooth stones from the brook, and he takes his sling, and then we have the encounter, and he goes to meet the Philistine. And then we have this conversation. And this is kind of like pregame trash talk, if I, if I could use that, that sports analogy here. Where, where the two start to taunt each other. And he moves forward, and the, the giant, the champion of the Philistines, says, am I a dog? He sees David coming out with a staff. That you come at me with sticks? So he despises David. He disdains David. And this is the third time David's been disdained in this text. He was disdained by his oldest brother. He was disdained by Saul, and now he's disdained by the giant. So he's been disdained by three tall guys, Saul, Eliab, and Goliath. So all the tall guys are disdaining David. And then he taunts him, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David responds in this back and forth. David says, actually, let's compare. So you think I just have a stick. That's what you think I'm armed with. 
Well, you actually are the one who is not armed well enough. So here he comes back. And he says, you have merely a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Here it is again. That was your mistake. You defied, and here he makes it personal. You have not just defied the armies of the Lord. You have therefore defied the Lord. And then here's, here's the taunting. This day, the Lord... See, Goliath had said, I will hand you over. And, and David says, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Then we have the actual battle. And it's despite. It's disposed of in two verses. So all of this is prelude, and then in two verses, the battle is over. You all know how it goes. Uh, the Philistine moves towards David. David runs towards the Philistine, grabs a stone out of his bag, puts it in his sling, lets it fly, and it hits the, the Philistine right in the forehead, where apparently one of the few places that he wasn't covered with, with armor says it sinks into his forehead. Uh, some have calculated that it could have been flying at over 100 miles an hour. Some have suggested that it was a stone of perhaps two inches in, in diameter. And so it would have a lot of momentum uh, as, it, as it hit the, the Philistine. But it says it sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. And it says, so David prevailed over the Philistine. And this seems to be kind of a bit of taunting. David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. He didn't have a sword, but there was a sword available. The giant who had fallen had a sword, so David took his sword, decapitated him with his own sword, and then we have the aftermath. The Philistines saw that their champion was dead, and they said, we entered into a solemn agreement that we would be your servants if our champion died, so we bow down, and we become your servants, right? No. The deal was off. They took off running, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued them as far as their own gates. This battle had taken place in the territory of Judah, and now they're traveling into Philistine territory, and they're pursuing them all the way there. And then they come back, and they plunder their camp. And it says, David took his gory trophy the head of the Philistine, and he brought it to Jerusalem. Actually, he brought it later and brought it when he went to have the audience with Saul. He still was carrying this trophy. And he also took the armor that he had won in the battle. Now, we have this, this conversation that's a bit curious after the battle in verses 55 to 58. And that is where Saul is asking, who's the father of this young man? Now, this is odd because it, it seems like he didn't know this young man. He refers to him as this boy, this young man. And Saul doesn't ask his name, but he asks the name of his father. Because you remember, one of the rewards is that the father's family would be free in Israel. Probably meaning free from taxes in Israel. So he's going to reward this man's father's family. 
This seems odd to us as we read it, and actually a couple of you astute readers last week asked me, how do these things fit together? Because last week we learned that David is Saul's armor bearer, that he is his court musician, and it says that Saul loved David. And now we come to this chapter, and he doesn't seem to know who his father is, and he doesn't even seem to know much about who David is. Well, I'm not going to resolve that. I'll tell you that there, there are various uh, ideas about how these two chapters fit together. Some of them are very critical of the text, and we would not be critical of the text. Others of them feel kind of forced, trying to force them together. But um, some people accuse the author of being not very astute in putting these accounts together. Um, but actually, I think the, the author has been very astute, and he, he may have a purpose that is other than strict chronology. And what is the purpose? If you think about the flow from chapter 15 to chapter 16 to chapter 17, chapter 15 records the rejection of Saul's dynasty. Chapter 16 records his, records his replacement by David, and chapter 17 shows David in the place that Saul should have occupied. Saul is rejected. David is his replacement, and here in the battle, Saul should have gone out, but instead of Saul, David takes his place. So it seems to be structured that way so that we see that David is entering into that place that Saul had. Now, speaking of place, speaking of place, if you grew up in church, uh, you probably heard this story taught many times. Uh, you've probably heard sermons on this if you've been in church for a long time. And in many presentations of this story, you are urged to find your place in the text in the sandals of David. And um, in one sense, in one sense, this is correct because David was a believer. And if you are a believer, then you and David have something in common. And David can teach you something about how to be a believer. Um, in in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 34, we read this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And so, in one sense, we can relate to David as believer to believer. He's a model of faith. He's, he's the one who put his trust in the Lord. However, this approach often goes astray by turning this into a fable, um, by making it a David into every man and Goliath into obstacles, the giant obstacles in your life. And now in our day in the West, those obstacles often become psychologized and uh, the fear in your life, that giant obstacle, and you can overcome your fear or your shame or whatever it might be. And so this, this approach to the text puts the focus on us. And we leave the text and we walk away saying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And if we do that, we've missed the whole point here. The, the, the focus is, is not on, on us. 
we need to remember that David was unique here. He is not every man. He is not every believer. He had a unique situation here. Who was David? David was the anointed of God. He was the Messiah. That's what uh, Messiah means, the anointed. David was the anointed Messiah of God. He was entering into representative combat, defeating the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people in this representative combat for the benefit of the people of God. And if we put it that way, we see that David is not foreshadowing us, he's foreshadowing his son. He's foreshadowing his greater son, his own descendant, the anointed one who defeated the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people in representative combat, winner takes all for the benefit of the people of God. And so who is David in this? He's not every man. David is the anticipation of Christ. He's a foreshadowing of Christ. He is David and Christ is the greater son of David. But there's a contrast as well. David won the victory by killing, whereas Christ won the victory by dying and rising again. And David had said, the Lord doesn't win by sword and by spear. And we find in the case of Christ, he didn't take up sword against his enemies Rather, his enemies took up swords against him. And he asked them, why do you come against me with swords and clubs? And the the greater son of David, Jesus, did not take up a spear against his enemies. But rather, on the cross, he was pierced with a spear. And so, if you want to find yourself in the story, look among the ranks of Israel. Look among the people of God. Because what did they do? They shared in the victory of their champion. He won the battle for them. They did the cleanup work after he had already won the victory. That's our situation. If you want to find yourself in the story, yes, you can relate somewhat to David, but you can relate much more to those cowering multitudes of Israelites who were waiting for the champion to arrive so that they could share in his victory. In their case, David. In our case, Jesus. Likewise, the Israelites, how did they participate in the victory? They participated in the victory by killing. How do we participate in the victory? We participate in the victory by plundering the nations like they did, but not by killing, but by making disciples of all the nations. And sometimes, read Christian history, look around the world today, sometimes by dying as well. Our champion, Jesus, conquered sin. Do you get tired of sinning? Do you get tired of sin in the world? Jesus has conquered over sin, and so you can share in his victory through faith in him, substantially now and completely later. Uh, when, you, when you look at the world and you, you see the evil one at work, does it make you angry? Do you see how he deceives so many people? And, and leads them to destruction. Well, Jesus has conquered over the evil one, and you can share in his victory over the evil one through faith in him. Does the idea of hell disturb you 
It should. It's a disturbing idea. But Jesus has conquered over hell, and you can share in his victory over hell through faith in him. Does the idea that you're mortal, that you will die one day, disturb you? It should. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an enemy. And death is an enemy of humanity. But Jesus has, has won the victory over death, and you can share in his victory through faith in him. So what's the, what's the takeaway here? Jesus won, and you can share in his victory. Jesus is our champion, and you can share in the victory that our champion has definitively won through faith in him. So let's pray. Our God, we thank you for David, and we thank you for the son of David. We thank you that David won, and that the son of David won even greater. We thank you for how your word teaches us uh, in, throughout the, the Old Testament and into the New to look to Jesus, not to look to ourselves. In ourselves, we find no hope or help, but we look to Jesus once again, the great victor over sin and over death and over hell and over Satan. And Lord, we're the, we're the weak, trembling ones. We're the ones that, that need help. And so we, we look to his victory again. And we pray, O oh God, that you would enable us in our lives to experience and demonstrate that victory that Christ has definitively won by going out and not killing, but laying down our lives that the nations might know Jesus so that we might bring in the riches of the nations and thus plunder them for your glory, that one day they too might all be your servants. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.